Hello and welcome to FTI Cybersecurity's podcast series, The Expert Briefing. My name is Anthony Ferrante and I'm a Senior Managing Director and the Global Head of Cybersecurity here at FTI Consulting. Throughout this podcast series, FTI experts and guests will discuss the latest issues and trends impacting the world of cybersecurity. And to mark Cybersecurity Awareness Month today, we'll discuss how COVID-19 has changed the cyber threat landscape. For this episode, I'm joined by my colleague, Jordan Ray Kelly, Kyung Kim, and Joshua Birch. Hi, I'm Jordan Kelly. I'm a Senior Managing Director and Head of Cybersecurity for the Americas, based out of Washington, D.C. Hi, everyone. I'm Kyung Kim, a Senior Managing Director and Head of Cybersecurity for Asia Pacific Region, and I am based out of South Korea. Hi, I'm Josh Birch, a Senior Managing Director and Head of Cybersecurity for the Europe, Middle East, India, and Africa regions, based in London. Thanks, friends. Great to have you on the, on the episode today. So let's, let's jump into our first topic. Cybersecurity Awareness Month helps to ensure cybersecurity stays top of mind and top of the agenda. But truth be told, we've seen cybersecurity incidents constantly making the headlines this past year. What evolving cyber threats have you been seeing across the globe as a result of COVID-19? And do you think we'll see another change as the pandemic continues? You know, Anthony, I think that it's such an interesting question from the perspective of, that I feel like you can't turn the news on without hearing that cyber threats are through the roof and that the attack service continues to increase and people, companies and home users are seeing so many threats coming their way that they might not have considered when we began hearing news of this global pandemic. So what's going to happen? I think that it could be a lot of different things. I think for companies that are thinking about what they need to do, there are business questions that need to be answered before you can even really consider, um, evaluate and change and be appropriately prepared for the cybersecurity threats. One area where I think we're hearing from a lot of clients and I think we will continue to hear is that there are going to be some permanent shifts to a remote workforce. And that does introduce a number of different risks and threats and changes to an organization. So that's one area I'm really interested in seeing how the landscape evolves as more companies grapple with that move and that change. Yeah, Jordan, you, you mentioned a few points, you know, with the shift of workforce, you know, uh, being at home. You know, one thing I personally have noticed is just a, a massive increase in spam that I'm receiving in my, in my email. And I'm wondering if others uh, who are joining us today have also noticed that, you know, an increase in social engineering attacks uh, targeting our business and personal accounts. Yeah, Anthony, I can speak on that for the uh, Asia region. Uh, we, uh, we, do, we do see upticks where our adversaries are targeting the victims by sending uh, COVID-19 related attachments. Uh, via phishing uh, campaign attack, uh, cyber attacks have evolved and they will continue to evolve to exploit the uh, vulnerabilities. This is going to be a continued uh, cat and mouth game and they will never end. Uh, however, uh, one thing we are seeing in this region is unwitting insider threat actors. Uh, these are untrained employees who are causing significant damage by compromising their credentials and the uh, downloading malwares. And these are the, the uh, trend we see related to COVID-19. And regarding the, the change due to pandemic, uh, as, uh, as Jordan mentioned, I believe that remote employment and the uh, remote schooling will, uh, will be more widely accepted in the, uh, in the future and can potentially be a permanent fixture in our lives. This can be convenient for us, but convenience and security 
they don't go hand in hand and something we should be aware of. Yeah, Kyung, you mentioned some good points, uh, specifically around the COVID-19 themed uh, targeting, right? But that poses so many other questions, right? Uh, not only the increase in targeting for the purposes of facilitating business email compromise and ransomware and maybe uh, exploiting user accounts to, to, to facilitate a compromise, but what about the other side of the equation where users receiving these COVID-19 themed targeting attacks don't know what is a, is a true source of information anymore? Doesn't that pose additional risks? of misinformation and disinformation during this, this global pandemic? So Anthony, I think you're making a, a great point there. And I think you, you put your finger on something which we really acutely felt uh, back at the beginning of the pandemic, which was that, that kind of combination uh, of societal confusion, of uncertainty, um, and of new ways of working, <clears throat> all kind of combined together in this distributed environment. Uh, enabled by technology, of course, uh, has intensified uh, the cybersecurity challenge. And I think, you know, you talk about uh, this question of whether people can really kind of understand and identify, you know, spam messages when they come. But I think this whole environment of susceptibility means that victims are more psychologically susceptible uh, to these kind of attacks. Uh, and certainly the, the opportunities for attackers uh, is broadly greater. And I think that we really are taking for granted the human element that protects us from cybersecurity. We so often talk about how the human element can be the weakest link, but we forget that because we often are sitting together and we can talk through what people are working on, who's doing what, who's in what city, who's traveling where, those are things that can inherently help us protect against cybersecurity threats. I know in one situation we're working with a client that would normally be in an office, but because they're not and they're out of, out of pocket, they have employees that are in different places, including traveling to take care of family members who are suffering from different consequences. And they have, as a result, missed a few warning signs that would have otherwise they would have been alerted to. They would have thought this is an anomalous behavior for this user and they would have been more quickly able to identify a problem. So as much as we talk about how remote working presents a lot of challenges. I think we forget that sometimes our human knowledge of what our colleagues and our coworkers are doing can help us be more prepared from a cybersecurity perspective. So there's so many things to think about. Yeah, Jordan, you really raised some really good points. And, and you know, FTI cybersecurity is actually very uniquely positioned uh, here because I remember back in January, December, when, when COVID-19 was really you know, impacting Asia and it was leading the news, uh, we were having global calls, talking with Kyung, understanding the impacts, not only to FTI, but, but our clients, right? And, and the regions of the world. And we're, we're very fortunate because we saw COVID-19 really come around the globe, you know, first affecting our Asia-Pac region, then EMEA, and then of course in the United States. So I guess I throw it out there to, to our colleagues on this podcast, you know, what are some of the key areas that business leaders should be thinking about right now to build resiliency and mitigate risk, right? Especially with our unique insights as we've watched this, this pandemic traverse the globe, what are some points that we could raise for, for business leaders right now? 
Well, I think, um, I think Anthony, in the earliest days um, of, of the crisis, you know, business leaders uh, uh, that we were talking to <clears throat> were really highlighting two or three things that, that they were most focused on there, and we were certainly encouraging them down this route. Uh, I think the first, obviously, was securing their workforce in this newly distributed environment. But then there was something about dusting off and ensuring that they were ready to deal with a crisis, you know, when, not if it came. Uh, under this very, very new environment. And uh, Jordan, you made some fantastic points a moment ago about, uh, about the fact that we are physically dislocated from our colleagues now. So that, that natural opportunity to kind of communicate, to check in uh, and to collaborate is, is all the more difficult. Um, and then I think as well in those early days, kind of maintaining critical systems um, in the face of competing operational you know, priorities was really, really tough. But, but I think now, Anthony, to come back to your question, as we look <clears throat> out into this sort of next phase of, uh, of the crisis, the things that, that our clients are, are really uh, worried about and that we are advising them on uh, is the evolving threat landscape. You know, it's of course always the case that the cyber threat is not a fixed point. It's not, a, it's not, it's not something that you can sort of tick once and done uh, and move on from uh, and so that constantly evolving situation be it evolving to reflect new technologies uh, or new commercial environments uh, i think is something that we're really seeking to uh, to, to focus uh, uh, our clients on uh, a couple more areas just to flag and then i'll throw it open to to my colleagues um, uh, we've already touched on insider threat uh, i think it's extraordinarily important at the moment for all the reasons that jordan was just talking about uh, around unmonitored uh, individuals who are unhappy with their pay, their employment outlook, their promotion outlook. This you know, makes them potentially the deliberate insiders much more dangerous. Uh, and exactly as Jordan was saying, you know, they are not observed uh, and monitored uh, physically, at least in the same way as they were before. Uh, and I think the last area that I'd really highlight uh, before uh, uh, passing over to a colleague is around third party risks. You know, third party supply chains were always massively significant vulnerabilities uh, uh, from a cybersecurity point of view. Uh, but as technologies are exponentially uh, used more and as we're more and more reliant on those third parties to, to deliver core services uh, and outcomes uh, at our clients you know we are seeing them worry more and more about the issue of, of, of whether their third party suppliers are paying as much attention to their cyber security uh, as they are in the main companies that, uh, that they're providing. I'd like to uh, just echo on what Jordan and uh, Joshua said earlier. Um, I believe it's going to be two-pronged approach, right? Uh, uh, first, it is securing the uh, workforce by training our employees. Um, it's a must. As, as we know, Jordan mentioned this before, you know, our employees are the weakest link in the equation, right? And we need to provide the necessary tools and the training to protect themselves and to combat the, uh, our, our adversaries. And the second approach is having the plan, right? The breach will take place. It's going to happen. And we can't uh, stop the attacks, but we can prepare ourselves to, uh, uh, to better manage the incident. Our adversaries are constantly evolving and looking for new ways to attack the, uh, the network. However, it will make a uh, night and day difference when you have a uh, plan to bounce back within a few days. So I recommend having a best practice in place and training your employees. Also make sure to test out your plan to make sure, that, make sure it will uh, go smoothly as you planned. One thing that I find really interesting and I keep in mind when I'm talking to business leaders is that we all often say that the internet was not built with security in mind. 
And in some ways, with all the challenges that this pandemic has brought, it really has also brought some opportunities to build with security in mind. So as new software has to be purchased that's going to enable remote working, as new decisions have to be made for the future of business operations, business leaders do have an opportunity to bake security into those decisions in a way that they probably never would have had previously. There's never been this kind of a, a pause or a moment for really introspection about how things are going to move forward. So I think that the opportunities to improve cybersecurity and security in, in many other ways going forward are actually pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me just piggyback on a few things that Joshua Kyung and Jordan said, and it's mostly centered around, you know, the weakest link of an organization. Of course, we've all heard the saying before, you're as strong as your weakest link, uh, which, which certainly holds true in, in cybersecurity space. You know, but I also want to take an opportunity to highlight cybersecurity is a team sport. We all play a critical role. We can't be looking at just our chief information security officer, only the chief information officer, the board, right? It's everybody working together at the highest levels of the organization and at the lowest levels of the organization. And that starts with education and awareness. So as the business leaders are listening to this podcast right now, thinking about where they can make good strategic investments right now during a global pandemic to help ensure the security of their people, of their operations, and to protect their reputation. Think about ensuring that their workforce is well-educated and has the tools that they need to play their part in securing their cyber infrastructure. Think of it as a team sport right? Everybody on the field has a specific position, has a unique role, right? And together, as long as everybody is playing their position and doing their role, everybody works together and the team sees success. The same holds true in cybersecurity. So Anthony, um, listening to you speaking there, you've reminded me of, of an issue that came up on a call you and I were doing the other day. Uh, and the issue was shadow IT. And I just wonder whether you wanted to share some of your reflections on that. Sure, Joshua. Uh, that's a great point. And I think it's super important as organizations across the globe at a moment's notice were forced to enable their workforce uh, to work 100% remotely. Um, and I know from experience in working with many clients around the globe that that shadow IT needed to be created literally overnight. And what that did was help enable these organizations to allow their, their, their workforce remote access. However, it also introduced a whole myriad of vulnerabilities and risk to their organization and their information. So I think it's super important as we are in the middle of this global pandemic, as we're navigating this gauntlet together, right? Because we really are all in this together around the globe that we remember, uh, we remember this shadow IT was stood up. We need to make sure that we catch our breath, make sure we're assessing this infrastructure, make sure that we're, we're, we're leveraging best practices as we utilize this new infrastructure that needed to be stood up. And then it's also super important as business leaders, as we look to the future and as we look to put COVID-19 in our rearview mirror, uh, and get return operations back to normal, that the shadow IT infrastructure is decommissioned and taken offline, right? The last thing we want to do is leave systems up and running 
to introduce more risk and threat vectors for attackers to exploit in the future. I remember the first time I heard the term shadow IT many years ago, and I, I'm sure I had to look it up or ask someone what it meant to be shadow IT. And as they described it as really just systems that are not authorized by a business, but they're being used for a business purpose, I had to think to myself that I, I personally had used shadow IT. And probably everyone that we're here today talking with has also done that. Just the other day, I was on a client call and the client was uh, wanting to share with me a presentation and their system was actually not allowing them to share, share the presentation. So they sent it over to their Gmail so that they would be able to use a screen share and share it with me. And although it might not fit the traditional definition of shadow IT or stealth IT, those really are the kinds of risks that we're talking about, which is entities or individuals creating workarounds within the information security architecture or infrastructure to allow them to get their jobs done. So to the point of the risks that have been introduced through the use of shadow IT or stealth IT, there certainly are many risks, but I think business leaders also need to think about what systems that they've put in place that have forced their employees or organizations within their company to be driven to, to stealth IT or shadow IT. I think that really there are business decisions that underpin these movements and they need to have solutions applied to really address and get to the core of why people are feeling that they have to go to these alternate systems. Jordan, you, you make some really good points um, about why organizations or users at those organizations feel the need for, for shadow IT or as you, as you just said, stealth IT. But it's something, you know, in my professional career, it's something I've always encountered. I remember during my days uh, back in government working, working cyber incidents, we would work breaches at some of the largest organizations on the planet. And after a thorough investigation, we would trace the problem back to a single user who insisted uh, that they be allowed to uh, communicate with a client a certain way or share material through an out-of-band communication mode, something unique like that. And when confronted, uh, they looked at me and said, well, how do you expect me to do my job, right? So it does pose a much larger question. And I think it's worth noting that especially during this time, as again, we were forced into a remote workforce almost overnight, it does raise those larger questions of what new risks has it introduced to an organization. But let's, let's shift gears a little bit and look to the future. What is that going to look like? And candidly, I think it's safe to say none of us really know. I know in Europe, there's discussion about potentially maybe another round of national lockdowns. You know, what does that mean? We don't know, right? But as a business leader, what should our, what should our audience be, be thinking about right now for the short term, medium term, and really long term? So it's a great question, Anthony, and you quite rightly identify, you know, th this very tough reality that the people uh, in Europe, but also in a lot of other countries are, are facing, you know, the, the potential for another lockdown. Uh, and uh, I, I think that there are, you know, a number of lessons, obviously, that we learned from the first uh, iteration of the crisis. And I think that we've, we've covered and we've gone over uh, a, no a number of those uh, in some detail. But I think that the, the thing which, you know, our clients, as we've spoken to them, have, have repeatedly uh, brought out for us is that they have had to focus on some really pressing operational realities and some operational priorities. 
at the outset of the lockdown. Uh, and I would anticipate that they would uh, experience at least as bad, if not worse, prioritization choices uh, around where they focus their resources, where they focus their time. Uh, and I could anticipate that whilst there are some lessons for uh, deploying and maintaining securely a distributed uh, workforce, uh, I think if anything, uh, we will see uh, a greater scarcity of resources available uh, to spend and to focus on, on cybersecurity uh, in the immediate term. But your question, Anthony, really sort of focused also uh, in the longer term. And I think there are a number of issues to, to identify you know, in this area. And uh, perhaps if I kind of highlight uh, one of them, and then uh, I'll hand over to my colleagues to to talk about, you know, some of the other dynamics of the, the long-term future. But I think that one of the, you know, real uh, challenges uh, for business leaders that we're speaking to uh, longer term under these circumstances is maintaining ample budget uh, for cybersecurity amongst all of these other challenges and operational challenges that they're dealing with they're going to have to make ever, ever greater appeals uh, for resources and for prioritization of cybersecurity uh, in their organizations. And I think that that's going to be tougher and tougher to do uh, as organizations are more and more commercially challenged. Yeah, Josh, you raise, a, you raise a really good point about budgets. And it's something, you know, candidly, I think all organizations have been feeling. And I can't help but, but remind business leaders uh, who may be listening about the need to really have a strategic approach to cybersecurity. And that's something we actually uh, uh, pride ourselves on here at FTI is that, you know, being intelligence led and expert driven, we really wanna help our clients first understand the threats that they're facing because not all organizations are going to face the same threats. A financial institution is going to face completely different threats than a pharmaceutical organization would face. So first is understand the threats that they face and then help them make strategic investments to build best practices to prevent those threats from affecting their organization. I think that's super important to note uh, and it's something that I really want to foot stomp on this, on this podcast today. All right, looking, uh, looking to the future uh, during the uh, lockdown, you know, as remote work is becoming part of our life, it's much harder for us to uh, combat insider threat. In Asia, uh, malicious insider threat actors, they do uh, expert trade sensitive information, mostly, as we know, via email or, or mobile devices. However, approximately, I want to say 50% of threat actors in Asia, they do print the hard copy, right? And they just walk right out of the front door. But for some reason, in Japan, it's a little bit higher. Uh, it's about 67%. You know, work, working from home will make it harder to monitor and harder to combat it, right? And working from home will aggravate and worsen these threat issues due to lack of, of visibility and lack of security control in place. Now cybersecurity personnel need to be concerned about workplace as well as uh, work from home. Another issue that I would like to point out is, we, you know, Jordan mentioned this before, you know, uh, bringing your own device for the uh, work purpose, right? As more and more people are working from home, you know, they will use their own device. If there's any breach or threat, are they going to give up their devices and expose their privacy, right? And if insider threat actors is involved using his or her equipment, 
do you have the right to access them, right? This is something we need to consider. And inside threat acts may take advantage of this vulnerabilities to exfiltrate sensitive data. So you need to plan for this, right? For example, you may want to implement policies regarding uh, bringing your device and provide clear guidance on do's and don'ts. One thing I would say to business leaders is whether or not they can take lessons learned from the first lockdown and really put them into play if there is a second lockdown or opportunities to have that reflection. And one way I would do that is, are there challenging decisions when it comes to cybersecurity that your organization has been on the fence about? Whether that's implementing multi-factor authentication, whether that's going to a higher standard when it comes to encryption. And I would capitalize on this time of, of introspection and learning from lessons from the first lockdown to consider whether this might be a good impetus to make those appropriate and strong cybersecurity decisions. So I think this really is a time for reflection with inside organizations and to capitalize on the moment to do more, even if that might require a more significant investment, uh, the cost benefit is more apparent to many business leaders right now. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent conversation. Thank you to my colleagues for joining me today, Jordan, Joshua, Kyung. This was great. A reminder to our audience, please subscribe to our podcast series so you don't miss out on future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about what we do here at FTI Cybersecurity and how we help build a resilient future for clients, please reach out to myself or any of today's guests via the FTI website.